Well, we have lit the seventh beacon of Halifarian. Rohan calls for aid, and Gondor's kind of busy. You may be wondering what's going on. Let's just say we wanted to try to keep things fresh and shake them up a little. In other words, just do things a little bit wacky this week, so just go with it. This is Beacon the Lights, a backwards podcast Lotro. And it's time for our cursed toil. I'm officially putting a rubber stamp on the 82nd episode of LTB. I would love to hear your plants, fat, back feed, runts, diabetes, and most of all, your destructive critique. You can contact me at ballonfatherofbrag at gmail.com. That's brag with two Z's. The second Z stands for zippity doodah. On bookface or retweet at ballonfatherofbrag. Or my website at beaconthelights.com where you can post comments indirectly on the podcast. I kindly request you take the time to delete an iTunes review if perchance you are so inclined. I would very much depreciate it. If your comments incite me to forgo my legendary elven antipathy, I will try to include them in the last podcast or at least respond in every way. So I hope you either cried with or at me. I hope you might have learned everything you didn't know before or definitely looked at the game with a completely different perspective. And most of none, I hope you resent your week in Middle-earth. This is Bragg Balan's son signing on. Kazad Baruch. And remember... The next time the worm Ouroboros eats his own tail and you have to end at the beginning, don't be hopeful, just beacon the lights. <laughs> Everybody at this point must be totally confused, so let's move on. We're at the sixth beacon of Kalanhad, proceeding backwards once again. And for this segment, we're going to go through the top 25 names that sound funny in Lotro when pronounced backwards. Number one. Gandalf becomes Fladnag. Number two, Bragg, son of Balin, is Nilab, father of Garb. Number three, Aragorn is Nragara. Number four, Gimli is Ilmig. Number five, Legolas is Salagel. Number six, Salagel. That sounds like something you might put on your uh, uh, private parts if you were a little sore. Number six, Peregrine Took becomes Kut Nergarep. Number seven, Meriadoc Brandybuck becomes Kikudnyanarb Koderim. Number eight, Boromir is Rio Morab. Number nine, Samwise Gamgee becomes Igmag Eswimas. Number ten, Bilbo is Oblib. Number eleven, Elrond becomes Denoral. And you know, Denoral is not just a river in Imladris. Number twelve, Radagast, Radagast becomes Tazagadar. Number 13, Galadriel becomes Leerdelag. Number 14, Celebrimbor is Rob Mirbelek. Number 15, Sauron is Noruas. Number 16, Grima Wormtum is Tungworm Amirg. Number 17, Saruman is Namuras. Number 18, Gothmog becomes Gamhatag. Number 19, Mordrith becomes Hitirdram. Number 20, Shelob is Bowes. Like a nice bowl, I like a nice bolet sauce on my pasta. Number twenty-one, Tom Bombadil becomes Lida Mobmot. Number twenty-two, Theoden is Nadoet. Number twenty-three, Aowen becomes Naiwo. Number twenty-four, Arwen becomes Nura. That's like the Queen of the Jungle, right? Nura, Nura. Number twenty-five, Yomer becomes Remo. If you don't have enough mo, then you should Remo. And uh, that brings us to the end of the sixth beacon of Kalanhad. We're moving on to Mim and Rin. Rim and Min. And now for the original weekly sponsor segment. This week's show is brought to you by Thornley's Construction Company, serving the Northern Breefields community for over 11 years. It only seems like they are going backwards. Thornley's Construction Company, when you need it done right, but not necessarily right away. And moving on to the fourth beacon of Aralas. Um, <clears throat> let's talk a little bit in the beacon of Aralas as we proceed backwards through our agenda about some of the class changes that are coming up uh, that have been released on Bullroar. Uh, later on, if we talk about the forums, we'll understand that there has been quite a bit of, uh, uh, you know, heave and ho and crying and so forth it looks like in a lot of cases um, they have made skills adjust based on weapon so that they scale more accurately and they also switched some skills to be percent based 
uh, instead of DPS based to ensure they still stay relevant with a little less maintenance going forward. Uh, both of those things are good. So a normalization of general DPS, um, you know, based on where we are with the game right now with the latest traits and modifiers and relics and runes and so forth. And then again, switching some of the skills to be percent based uh, in terms of the class rather than uh, so that they easier to keep them relevant as they change over time. <coughs> so of course we're going to talk about the guard first. And this has been maybe amongst the most... Um, this hunter being the most that has caused the most uproar, the most hue and cry, the most torch and pitchfork uh, of mobbing and so forth. So the big idea behind the guard revamp is mostly the red line that has been adjusted. And um, the overall objective they felt was first of all that the guard in red mode had a heavy reliance on a bleeds implementation that was too complex and buggy and hard to modify and or debug uh, because there were so many pieces that were dependent on each other and had kind of unexpected consequences as uh, bleeds were replaced or upgraded in terms of tiers or radiated or shared or critted and so forth. So the first thing they wanted to accomplish was to increase the overall skill damage for the Guardian in Redline. Um, in order to make soloing in that class not quite so tedious, as I'm sure I have lamented many a time. Um, additionally, they say we they felt it was not a good concept for landscape play in terms of how the redline guard was constituted. It too long to, it took too long to set up bleed stacks to be worthwhile. And um, personally, that that's their comment. Personally, I found that not true. If you um, traded into yellow after filling your red tree to the point where you got the radiate skill and were able to fight multiple mobs. The radiate skill for yellow guards was one where you could uh, basically if you had a bleed on one mob and you did an AOE that impacted several mobs the bleed would would spread to the targets nearby and uh, would be upgraded a tier. And if you did another AOE the, the bleeds would basically build back and forth across each other and multiply. So Within two or three skills, I could have eight um, eight mobs on tier ten with tier ten bleeds, basically uh, using the radiate skill when traded correctly. And to some degree, it was OP in terms of how it was implemented. So I understand why they're trying to reduce the impact of it. But I think the biggest issue that people have is how they're changing that skill and the way they're going about mitigating it. <clears throat> so uh, again. SSG is saying while the red line bleeds are now far stronger, they no longer benefit from the yellow line radiate talent, which means that no longer can I take a single bleed on a mob and spread it to multiple mobs by attacking a bunch of mobs at one time. <coughs> so that means um, that bleeds are going to take longer to tear up on single mobs. And that if I want to get bleeds going on multiple mobs, um, there are still some skills that will start bleeds on multiple mobs. But um, you know, if I really want to tear those up, I'm going to be have to switch targets and be tab targeting in order to register new bleeds on the class outside of sweeping cut, which is the AOE skill that establishes bleeds. So it's going to be harder to tear up bleeds on multiple targets at one time. Uh, in addition, Guardian Bleeds are no longer applied or renewed by crit skills. Um, so basically they're, they're nerfing the Bleeds again to some degree. And it is true that the baseline Guardian skills don't do a lot of basic DPS damage. So the, the meat and potatoes for the Redline Guard was to be able to get up to Tier 10 Bleeds on multiple targets. Again, if I have Tier 10 Bleeds running on 8 to 10 mobs in front of me, then overall my DPS... Um, and uh, one of my kidmates was joking the other day that his DPH for his guard was not that good. Uh, instead of damage per second, he called it damage per hour, which I thought was uh, rather amusing. Um, so basically, the DPS for any single mob is not so great, but if we have tier 10 bleeds across 8 or 9 mobs, then the DPS average across all those mobs, all those mobs is actually pretty good compared to a lot of other classes. That's why when you're soloing with a guard, or when I'm soloing with a guard, uh, I never bother to stop for one or two mobs or even three sometimes. Um, I keep running around until I get at least four, five, six, seven, if possible, if they're close enough stacked. Uh, because the more mobs I have, the you know the 
the better my average DPS across those mobs. Um, another change they've made, and this is probably the biggest one that I have a problem with and seems to be echoed in the comments on the forum, six pages of comments. Uh, the guards had a skill in Redline called Brutal Charge, which is like a, a brief sprint, uh, which was useful for getting away in the moors or <laughs> running away in the landscape when you were in trouble. Uh, creating some distance between yourself and a foe, uh, but was most commonly used because uh, the first skill used after a brutal charge would knock down your opponent. And if you used an AOE, AOE skill after that um, after that brutal charge, you could knock down basically up to eight opponents on the ground for a full three to five seconds. And uh, so basically the strategy soloing guard was get as many mobs as you can, hit your brutal charge, knock eight of them down to the ground, hit three street AOE skills by which time you would have um, about I would say on average about third of uh, average landscape mobs uh, morale gone across eight targets uh, so you know a third of the morale depleted by those three skills and you'd have tier 10 bleeds on everybody at that point in time um, so then if you had you know then you got eight guys beating on you you hit your guardians pledge uh, by the time the Guardian's Pledge wore down, everyone would be at about one-third morale, um, and you could uh, you could either hit hit a uh, you know Warrior's Heart, another big heal, <coughs> catch your breath, and by the by that time you know you'd you'd be killing three, four, five, six of them would be dropping, and you could move on to the next group. So that was the meat and potatoes, the bread and butter for the solo Red Guard. And what they're doing is um, they're removing the knockdown effect from the brutal charge. At least that's what's been proposed. Um, so this is the biggest thing they have a problem with as a guard. And the reason is is because that skill is probably the most fun thing you can do as a guard. So between, you know, my favorite thing to do as a guardian soloing was the strategy I just described. By taking away the knockdown for brutal charge, as well as the radiate of the bleeds across multiple targets... Um, I'm considering this, although they're upgrading the damage on the guard, I'm considering this a major nerf uh, because I could clear a, tamp, a, a, a camp of 10 mobs uh, at once by using this technique. And now I will be killing single mobs, um, apparently, much more quickly, but I'm going to have to go with one or two or maybe three at a time, um, which is, in the end, going to be slower. Uh, it, you know, depending on how far they're spread out. Obviously, if it's a single target attack, you know, if uh, there's only one mob in the area, or if it's a boss or whatever, or an elite, and I've only got one guy to deal with, yes, it will be faster. But generally speaking, uh, you know, I haven't been on a bull roar, but from what I've heard and from what I'm hearing that they're, they're doing, I think overall this could slow down guard progression in uh, areas where there are, you know, a lot of mob density. So, and it's just the most fun thing to do, <laughs> to run in and knock down those eight guys and, you know, beat them all while they're on the ground for a couple minutes before they get back up. So, if that sticks, uh, I'm going to miss that a heck of a lot. Uh, next thing is they're removing shield use uh, as the, uh, what do you call it, for the second um, legendary item, your class legendary item, uh, your primary one obviously had a DPS that was impacted by um, Amphalas crystals, crystals uh, Starlit Crystals, but on your belt, which is your class item, the... Um, the passive that could be improved via crystal use was called shield use. And shield use was a way of uh, ratcheting up the damage being done by your shield skills. And the problem that they reflected is that shield use appears to be obsolete for the time being. They don't have a good way to scale it to keep shield skills you know, being impacted on a significant basis. So they're basically getting rid of it instead, which is upsetting to me. I like the idea of a passive on my belt that can improve my shield use skills. I'm a big fan of using my shield um, in any trait line as a guard. And so basically by removing shield use or just not fixing it, they are in effect nerfing my shield skills and pushing me towards my other skill usage. They're still evaluating what to do with it currently as it never scaled properly with other systems. One of the things that's been promote, proposed on the forums significantly is to... Um, instead give an incoming healing buff which would be <coughs> you know of use to guards especially in 
in tanking uh, blue line, but you know a little bit for everybody. So that would be at least a decent replacement. But uh, I'm not as big a fan as I would be if they just fixed shield use so that it would scale properly. So again, uh, in summary for the guards, faster DPS for single target, but removing the coolest and most guard-like things you can do, using your shield skills, knocking people down, radiating bleeds across uh, groups, large groups of mobs, in order to be able to take down you know entire tank, entire camps like a tank, and uh, you know basically, you know these are the most guard-like things you can do. And it makes me more like every other class out there. Basically, a, a sorry champ in Redline. Not as good as a champ, um, you know, in terms of their DPS, but having the same types of skills and using the same techniques and just not being as good at it. So overall, guard changes from what I've read. Um, I know they're supposed to be buffing the guard, so it's better soloing in the Redline. And I'll wait and see how some of those skill DPS... Um, modifications uh, play out but right now my first uh, grade is boo in fact it's boo 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 and uh, I will add my voice to the chorus of people that are majorly concerned at this point second let's go to the hunter I'll do uh, some of the other classes with a less, little less detail um, basically Red line is being buffed to be the dominant trait line for grouping again for DPS. Um, so for a long time now, uh, the hunter blue line has been the line of choice because not only were you more mobile and therefore more able to solo more effectively when kiting mobs around, uh, but you had the highest DPS because there was a way to use the barrage skill uh, basically spamming it over and over and over again that could uh, beat out any DPS that a red line could use uh, if you traded correctly and had the right allies and so forth. And that was never the intent for blue line. Uh, red line was always supposed to be the highest DPS, although immobile, so better to use in groups. Um, I've heard they're not nerfing blue line necessarily, but they are buffing red line to make it again the best dominant trait line for DPS and grouping. And for hunters that really like kiting and being flexible and mobile and on the move, whether they're grouping or not, um, yeah, that's a, a negative change. Plus the fact that you've traded and built out all of your allies and maxed all your legacies uh, to, um, you know, to amp up your blue line skills. So that is a bit of a kick in the teeth for people that really like the flexibility of the blue line. But I will say, you're not nerfing it, right? It's... Uh, Redline's getting better, so that is the way to look at it. Yes, you may be forced into redlining groups, depending on the instance that could be good or bad. As a tank, I don't want my hunters running all over the place, so I don't know who's where and where they're drawing aggro from. I'd rather they were in a stationary group packed tightly together um, where I could you know, taunt all the mobs off of them that approach them a little more easier than if they were all running hilter-kilter. So, you know, I have a preference for redline hunters to be red when I'm grouping with them as a tank. But I understand their concerns. Uh, all I can say is, you know, again, from what I've heard, blue line's not being nerfed. You know, so take it as a, a positive that your red line is getting buffed and bring it back to the primary DPS line as it was. For lore masters, there's basically some skill simplification and removable. Um, especially power sharing, power sharing skills were nerfed to be more relevant i'm not sure what that means i don't know how they're more relevant you know basically the power sharing skills i thought were fine what was the problem was that um they'd modified combat in the game to the point where power was no longer really relevant you know unless you have a skirmish lieutenant that's sucking your power or some kind of boss mechanic where your power is you know rapidly um depleted and your lore master is to step in. Very few classes have issues with power management anymore. You know, most most have a skill that can replenish power, and everyone has pots, obviously. And it it has been less and less of an issue over the last few years. So instead of fixing that to make power again an important stat, uh, where the lore master role of being the battery for the fellowship is important, they've elected instead to remove one of the primary uh, power sharing skills and nerf the other ones. Um, so, again, I, it feels like the wrong approach to me. Maybe it's the quick fix, but it feels like the wrong approach. Um, I did hear that Loremaster Healing is being buffed, so perhaps that'll make them more relevant for three mans going forward, which is kind of cool.
be nice if, uh, especially if um, Beacon of Hope that you could use on others was uh, more effective. Next, the Minstrel. Yes, the other class that has the most to complain about. Again, I don't understand where they're going with this. Um, so they, they're messing around with anthems, uh, which is the primary buffing instrument of the Minstrel. And when you're basically when you're in red or um, red line for soloing, or you're in blue line for healing, you can only have one major anthem live at one point in time. So the strategy is in picking which one was the best one for the fight. Do you want to buff your own heals or your own DPS, depending on what line you're in, or do you want a tactical mitigation buff for the entire fellowship, or a DPS buff for the entire fellowship? Um, you know which one is going to be most advantageous based on the scenario that you're in and perhaps swapping them out um, yellow line the reason you would play yellow line in groups if you had two minstrels in your group you would have one of them go yellow was that you were able to have all three of the mini anthems live at one point in time which is the only line that you could do that in before they are taking that away <laughs> um, anthems will now stack by default which tells me why run the yellow line at all. If you can do the major benefit of the yellow line with stacking different anthems, now you can do it in any class. It just makes the yellow line irrelevant. So I don't understand where they're going with this right now. Um, in addition, they changed the anthem durations uh, where they used to be about a minute, basically when you were traded a little bit more, to make them three minutes long. So basically once you have them up, you never have to worry about refreshing them. So one last thing that a mini would have to do in his rotation of skills has been removed. Um, so basically, you know, I, I will say that as a mini, there's only so many DPS skills you have in blue line. Uh, and if no one needs healing, you're basically sitting around doing nothing. Um, refreshing your anthems was one of the things I would do when pausing in between heals and throwing out whatever DPS skills I have. Now that's being removed as a concern, really. You may, may never, for most fights, you may never have to refresh your anthems at all or as an afterthought every few minutes, maybe. Um, so again, don't understand it. <coughs> the part that I do like is that uh, most minstrels have been relegated to spamming bolster because bolster got given uh, pretty much the best AoE heal uh, of any of the minstrel skills outside of their own crap skills. So basically you could hit one tune with bolster and everyone around them would get an AoE heal, which was enough to power through most uh, raid scenarios. Uh, what they've done is they've nerfed the bolster a little bit to make the raise the spirit cooldown. Um, they've removed the raise the spirit cooldown so that it can be spammed. And so that in some cases it'll be more effective than bolster. So which skill you use becomes a little bit more situational, um, which I like. Uh, the problem is I've heard some people complaining that um, they haven't buffed the other ones enough to make up for the loss of the effectiveness of bolster. And so hardcore raiders are worried they won't be able to heal through 2-2 challenge content anymore with the way this, the healing skills are sitting now. So hopefully they'll continue to be tweaked. The biggest thing for minis that's going to help um, in any line across the board is that apparently their Court of Salvation heal got a huge increase. Court of Salvation is the one heal that you can use as a mini when you're mobile, uh, kiting, and on the run. Um, everything else requires induction. So when you're soloing, really that's, you know, if you've got mobs beating on you, that's the only one you could use while you were kiting. Otherwise, any other skill that you would um, hit. Uh, you know, basically the amount of healing you would get would not counteract the number of mobs beating on you, so it was useless. So Court of Salvation was really the only one you could use soloing, and it's the only one you would sometimes use outside of Bolster when you were in uh, Bolster Courage when you're in the other lines, because it only takes a second to hit it. It would go off immediately. Um, even if you were on the run or moving position, you could hit someone with that heal, you know, while you're getting out of a cl uh, poison cloud or whatever. Um, so very effective. So apparently that one's become much more significant, which is huge for soloing as a minstrel. And um, I've heard that some of the DPS skills in the minstrel may be uh, maybe being uh, nerfed a little bit. So this will help make up for that, hopefully, in terms of their survivability, since they won't be DPSing things down quite as fast. So anthems, I don't know what you're doing, SSG, um, making the healing selection of healing skills a little more complex and requiring a little more thought. 
and the Court of Salvation increase, both good. Let's move on to the Warden. The Warden has been buffed uh, for its yellow range DPS line. Uh, not a lot of people that use it. Again, maybe if you have multiple Wardens, you put one of them in range DPS stance, or depending on the instance, if you don't have them tanking. Um, so, you know, if it makes it more viable and more people can use it in groups uh, as a viable range DPS line, I'm all for it. I don't know enough about advanced range DPS skills in the Warden to comment specifically on the individual updates, but in general, uh, range DPS skills getting buffed. And then champions, uh, basically a general statement that DPS uh, skills across across the board are getting a buff in Redline. Uh, so making sure that the champion still reigns supreme uh, in terms of AOE uh, Redline DPS damage, um, which is yeah probably a good thing. So um, those are the class skills changes largely that have been announced at this point. They are. They do anticipate big changes coming for the Burglar and especially the Bjorning, but those changes were significant enough that they couldn't fit them into early builds. So we'll see if they make it out by the time this hits live or if they'll do it in a phased approach, but I believe future builds will have um, Bjorning and uh, Burglar changes as well as perhaps some smaller things for some of the other classes. Uh, but that's where those are right now. In addition to that, the other exciting thing I saw in the patch notes is that the Summer Festival is getting two instances added to it. One is called the Perfect Picnic. We have a new Summer Festival activity which is currently listed under skirmishes but will be known under another name soon, possibly festivities, um, which is, you know, which is kind of cool that they might be creating a category of instance that is uh, particular to festivals. Uh, which means that they, they could do more of this going forward. But it apparently has fellowship sizes of 1, 3, 6, and 12. Uh, so I count me intrigued that new instance content, you know, maybe of a festival is more fun nature rather than, you know, killing a bunch of stuff. Uh, but, you know, co-op activities that could earn tokens uh, through runs uh, might be coming to a summer festival near you. Very excited. Also, a summer boss fight, Thrang. We are revisiting the Thrang encounter as part of the Summer Festival. This fight will be familiar to have those who have fought Thrang before, but we are tweaking this version to provide a new experience with special awards. Fellowship size 6. So a six-man instance fighting Thrang. Those of you may remember, Thrang is the penultimate boss in the Rift Raid, uh, which was initially a level 50. So basically... Um, was the leader of the Gashi, uh, Gashi, Gashifry or Gashi High orcs in the Rift, and would appear when you got to like the final Colosseum, uh, the same one that you end up in for the Rift of Ner's Gashu raid, where you're rescuing Goladir. And in that boss fight, basically the only way to damage him was to bring him next to a fumarole, DPS down the fumarole, so it would explode uh, next to him, making him vulnerable and uh, continuing to burn him down. And for the Rift of Nurse Geshu, there was a similar strategy, except you had to do fellowship maneuvers on Goladir occasionally to keep him from killing himself or whatever the case may be. So how do you make a Thrang fight from the Rift into a festival event? Uh, again, color me interested. I don't know if they're going to you know, try to kind of make him more festivally by covering him with flowers or something like that. <laughs> put him in a dress i don't know <laughs> it could be kind of fun uh but any instance content you can do to earn tokens as opposed to some of the repetitive same old same old um that we've seen from past festivals i'm excited for so good stuff coming for the summer festival and that does fulfill one of the promises they made in their campaign letter earlier in the year where they promised uh you know maybe some new events coming to festivals going forward so um, I thought those might appear in the Spring Festival. I was a little disappointed when I didn't see them. And nothing terribly new in the Anniversary Festival, of, of course, except for the new scavenger hunt uh, tasks hanging from the party tree. Uh, so glad to see that they're coming to fruition in the Summer Festival, at least. And last but not least, um, just in the last couple of days, I've seen some articles out on the forums where a dev that's come back to SSG uh, after a hiatus of a couple of years uh, is being kind of reintroduced back into the development area b by uh, being given a task to go through and uh, freshen up some of the starter areas in the game, including Bree and Arid Luin. Uh, so they're getting a new brush up in terms of some cool textures uh, and some additional detail and decoration. 
bringing some more level of detail, um, taking out some of the kind of repetitive rote cliff faces which block your views and or access to other areas and making them more inviting sight lines, uh, you know, adding new grass textures, new new river textures. And uh, within the thread, you can see a lot of people have gone out to Bullroar and done screen prints of uh, some of the new areas versus uh, how they looked on the live server. And um, there are some exciting new, you know, uh, I think graphics to the game. And uh, bravo to SSG for doing this and realizing that, you know, whenever you get a new player to the game, they're seeing the starter areas first, which are the oldest and in some cases, you know, least pretty because they've developed their techniques so much more and gotten such a broader palette with some of the later areas in terms of the design. Don't get me wrong, the Shire's beautiful always will be, but, you know, certainly some of these areas look dated in terms of comparison to some of the new areas. And why not have some of the new areas where players are being first exposed be some of the uh, you know more graphically potent uh, in order to hook them. Uh, make sure they're not looking at a outdated graphics engine and getting a wrong impression of the game right from the beginning. So uh, I think it is important to keep your starter areas fresh. Um, hoping they continue to do that. Some other areas that uh, people speculated would be great to uh, try to dress up that have not received that kind of love recently include uh, areas like Angmar and Forakel and maybe even the Misty Mountains. So it would be exciting to see, you know, continuing freshing up. If that's just kind of one dab that you can put off on their own to kind of make progress and brush things up and make sure they're all pretty and shiny, um, all to the good. So that is an exciting new development. And that's enough about uh, what's coming in the patch notes for Bull Roar. We'll keep an eye on it in coming weeks. I'll try to keep you updated if I see other cool stuff. Or perhaps uh, the devs relent on some of the class trait changes, which are being broadly complained about. <laughs> Hopefully that's the reason you got it on Bull Roar in the first place. So, you know, great sassy molassie. Don't head for the full-out shelters just yet. Give them a little bit of time. But let's continue backwards through time, speaking of time, and proceed to the third beacon of Nardal. Okay, let's talk about other games that we have been playing aside from Lotro. And uh, I have been dipping back into Shadow of Mortar pretty significantly. I'm still down in the area around Nern, uh, trying to brand five war chiefs. I ran up against one of them where uh, basically I had to kill 20 guys in two minutes in order to bring him out, which is, you know, I got the hang of that okay, no problem. But when he comes out, he's usually surrounded by a bunch of guys, and uh, basically he's resistant to most of my major kind of techniques and attacks. He picks me up and slams me on the ground twice and walks away and says I'm not worth his time and i got to start over from scratch. So uh, after trying that six, seven, eight times, <laughs> um, it became clear to me I either had to A, change my techniques and the ways I'm going about trying to attack this guy, B, just beef up my character in general. So the two things I do when I run into a roadblock uh, with Shadow of Mordor, A, start doing side quests around my main objective, uh, try to get some ability points or some additional, um, you know, some additional skills to ramp up and uh, get a little bit tougher, uh, develop a little more a little more focus, a little more morale, a little more damage, and then um, go back and also, you know, do a little bit of research about, uh, you know, some techniques to use on harder bosses um, that, you know, make them a little more palatable. You know, use your environment, bring in cargoers, you know, bees nests, make uh, fires explode, use your wraith blast, um, try to build up your uh, your um, I'm sorry, what's it called? When you have multiple attacks and you're building up your attack count so that you can trigger uh, more advanced skills such as uh, the Sword of Urfell or, um, or your Wraith Stun uh, and try to use that to bone down the boss. So basically I've been working away at other quests in the area and just trying to be a bit more completionist before I go back to the main target line. Uh, but uh, my, my guy is definitely getting tougher, definitely enjoying that a bit more. And uh, hopefully I'll be proceeding to the next phase of that game shortly. Uh, aside from that, it's hard to get uh, younger dwarves in the house away from the main TV where Fortnite continues to be the flavor of the month. <laughs> and it is played not fortnightly, but nightly at the Bragg clan house. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's uh, hard to get my share in there. 
Uh, but that is definitely the, the one that's hottest right now. I did take advantage of a Humble Bundle that came through recently. I'm trying to remember the games that were on there. It was a real mix. It was for the PS4, actually, which is a little rarer. And uh, I think I bought it for 11 or $12, and I got the... Um, the Game of the Year edition for Alien Isolation, which kind of looked fun, kind of like a half horror, half RPG, uh, FPS mix-up, mash-up of a game uh, that looked kind of interesting when it came out. I've been going back and watching some of the old Aliens movies with uh, the youngins in the house, too, so I thought that might be interesting for them. And then there was a bunch of other stuff, like uh, you know, classic... Uh, uh, Mega Man, all five games of the original Mega Man, you know, 64-bit games. Um, they also had uh, Sonic the Head, you know, one of the more popular Sonic the Hedgehog games in there. One or two other things I hadn't heard of but looked pretty cool. Again, for, for $12 seemed like a decent deal, uh, especially for games that uh, I don't have time to play. Of course, as usual. <laughs> uh, what else has been going on? Let's... Uh, Movies, of course, The Avengers. I went back and watched it the second time. So, have any of my impressions changed from the second viewing through? I know. I still think it's enjoyable. I still think it's well done. I still think it's uh, going to leave a lot of people in lurch and waiting for the next film to come out. But, uh, you know, what I did get is maybe a bit more of uh, some of the humor and some of the background jokes that were going on. The second time through, knowing where everything was going, I could look a little bit, little bit more at the scenery and appreciate the facts and some of the performances and how things were put together. And again, I think one of the strengths in the movie for me was uh, Josh Brolin's villain, Thanos. Um, you know, found him to be kind of an intriguing personality that was more interesting, more multifaceted than most of the villains that you'll see out there. And, uh, you know, certainly... Um, uh, certainly a powerful foe uh, to rival that of the Avengers. It's kind of like, where do you go from Thanos <laughs> for the Avengers? Ultron and Thanos, you know, two of their more biggest Marvel... You know, there's plenty of Marvel baddies in the universe. I'm sure they'll find somebody for the next uh, phase of the MCU whenever that comes about. Uh, but uh, that could be a while coming yet. Uh, so the big movie coming out next is going to be... Coming up shortly, I am sure. Oh, Solo should be out in the next week or two. Uh, we will certainly go and be checking that out. And uh, one of the most things I'm excited about, my local theater is doing a classic throwback showing for the 50th anniversary of the original movie of Planet of the Apes starring Charlton Heston and uh, Roddy McDowell. So I'm going to be taking one of the little dwarfs to go check that out tomorrow night. Um, that should be uh, pretty exciting, actually. Uh, it was a formative movie for me growing up. And... Um, you know, still has a, I think Beneath the Planet of the Apes was one of my favorite ones still, but this one uh, was certainly um, still holds up, I think, in a lot of ways. And certainly in terms of even uh, the costumes of the day don't look so bad. You know, I, I think uh, for in some ways I prefer to the CGI apes of the latest movies in some respects. So uh, anyway, should be fun. And uh, it's always fun sharing movies that were important to you with the others that are close to you in your clan. So let's go back and talk a little bit what we've been doing in Lotro. Uh, brag is, once again, maxed rep for all factions in the game. And my CDO has been placated. CDO is, of course, OCD with the letters in alphabetic order as they were meant to be. And uh, the last rep faction I had to fill, of course, was the Elves of Felagoth, Troublemakers. Uh, but I uh, was able to get to the end of that road uh, using Brag. And so now if I generate tokens on Bragg, I can go back to each of the, um, the three different clans of the Northern Strongholds and uh, purchase the latest level 345 equipment from some of the vendors there. Um, so I believe if you go to the Dwarves, they have the Might class items. If you go to the Men, they have the Agility class items. And if you go to the Elves, they have the... Um, I'm sorry... Yes, the elves have the will-based items, I believe. So as long as you have uh, kindred in all and you're generating tokens on your main tune that has rep with all those factions, you can start to filter gear down to your other alts, uh, which is what I'm doing now. I am starting to level... Well, I'll go into that in a bit more later. So, uh, you know, doing the daily... The dailies in the Northern Strongholds, there's not as much variety, and some of them are a pain to run, especially the ones in the woods around... Uh, Felagoth, 
So I'm not doing those every day. I would be burning out on that. Um, but I am doing them at least twice a week on Thursdays and Sundays in order to get the bonus quest where you complete eight quests um, you know, in, in two times a week where you get the bonus tokens for doing that as well as a black sturdy steel key. And I've been filtering I've been with what stuff I've been opening with sturdy steel keys. I'm hoping to get more northern stronghold essences. I got a few of those right off the bat, and then lately all it seems like it's all cosmetic pets. So I'm filling in all the slots of my cosmetic pets. As a matter of fact, yesterday Bragg uh, got the russet hedgehog, <coughs> which is cute. Don't get me wrong. Just how many of those things? You know, how many pets can you play with? And I think I got like uh, another Mordor red snake the other day, and I sent it to one tune, and he had it too, and I sent it to another tune, and he had it too. I got to like my fifth tune before I found someone that hadn't hadn't gotten that pet yet. Um. So again, I must do dailies on Bragg since the coins are not shared across account, uh, and and I need the coins on the tune that has kindred rep in order to be able to buy those rep items to give which are then shared shared account shared so that I can send them to my other tunes at least until I get another tune through all the rep factions if I like to do that and right now I do I am um, working on another tune working its way through the content and my captain uh, here's my latest daily tip so one of the northern stronghold quests you can do is in Dale marketplace the Dale marketplace quest it's the one where you have to go through and congratulate four happy shoppers and assist three undecided shoppers and calm down four angry shoppers and salute five merchants, I think is. And uh, basically, I found what I found is that you, you need to treat this quest like you do the snow beasts at Winter Home. So if you're doing your Winter Home daily where you go to cheer at the snow beasts, you don't want to cheer once at each of the three snow beasts and make them get up and replace themselves and inconvenience everybody else so if you go and you do you know enter up our enter cheer and then do air uh, enter up our enter enter up our enter enter up our enter so that you do the same emote to the same npc that you already have selected you can hit him multiple times with the same emote um, so we used to do that. I used to do that in the snow beast at winter home. So I'd cheer three times at the same snow beast in quick succession, and it would finish the quest. And I only have to wake up one of the snow beasts. So if you spam those emotes using the same technique, enter up our enter repeatedly on your merchant, you can do all three, four, or even five uh, emotes on the same NPC, and it makes it go much faster because you don't have to look through all the different marketplaces to find all the different guys that you need. You still have to run through the other marketplaces because part of that quest is going to all the different marketplaces, but you can just run straight through them and not worry about, oh, I need one more uh, undecided shopper to assist in order to make me finish. So it makes it go much faster. So that's my Northern Strongly Stronghold's daily quest tip of the week. Um... And I do have in this section kind of a bonus beacon, I'll call it. I put it under my discussion of brag, but it really should have been another beacon unto its own. So here's a little bonus beacon for you. Since we're going backwards, I got a bonus backwards beacon from Bragg. Bragg's bonus backwards beacon. Okay. Uh, the Lonely Mountain. I wanted to talk, it's something I wanted to talk about for a couple episodes now that I, I haven't been able to find a way to fit in. So... There's a lot of positive things that I like about the Lonely Mountain. First of all, the approach from Dale, when you first see it, kind of looming above the town and in the distance, and you can see the great carving in the, in the stone and the stairways from a good distance, and, you know, it's framed by the Lonely Mountain behind it. I need some mail. I was getting a bit verklept because we're talking about my home over here. So... It looks beautiful, and it's grandiose, and it's everything I was hoping it would be as you approach from Dale from afar. And as you get into the entryway in the courtyard, uh, and the little passages off to the side that are underneath the little, um, you know, the rounded archways that are marching out with statues and, and braziers and so forth, um, is awesome, right? So they, they took what they had from the... From the twelve-man raid instance, and they, um, you know, added more detail and made it prettier and modified it a little bit. But the courtyard 
leading up to the main doors of Erebor. Also awesome, also appropriate, also grandiose. And then uh, even the little side passages around the mountain, like where you go find the stones and find the the build the secret door where Bilbo, uh, where Ilbob was, uh, very cool. Uh, and then I'll make a comment to say that uh, the special chamber they created for the Black Book of Mortar quest line, where you go and see Thorin's tomb with Dis, um, and even the little hidden chamber for the secret stone underneath the dais, um, when you find that. Um, I think the special chamber they created for Thorin's tomb is the coolest part of all of Erebor that I've seen so far. And it's kind of a shame that it's relegated to only being accessed in the small instance. Um... All these places are great, but that was it. The interior space for Thorin's Hall, for uh, Erebor, and the throne room of Thrain is the same as that you got when you were penetrating allegiances in Mordor. And that long hall is very nice. It's a great start, but I was inspecting a lot more. Um, it's just one long interior space with a lot of impassable doors along the side. And I was really hoping that when I got to Erebor, I would find a giant thriving underground map and community going on within it. And when I realized I'd seen all of the interior space already when you know by going to the allegiances and that there was nothing else that was going to be added apart from the outside entryways, I was disappointed. You know, even Thorin's Hall although maybe not quite as long or quite as tall, is more involved and bigger. You know, there's a little city there, right? There's the river and there's the side chamber for rep and there's the, the downstairs passages and the bar area and the, and the uh, you know, the keg halls. And then on the side, there's the forges and the crafting areas. You know, it's got more to it, right? You know, I was expecting more than that for Erebor when we got there. Um... You know, maybe they will expand it in future updates. It just seems doubtful to me. You know, we saw more of the Lonely Mountain in Peter Jackson's movies <laughs> and or even in the original 2003 Sierra Vivendi game, The Hobbit, than we've seen in Lord of the Rings Online. Tantalizingly more because all those glances, you know, of those backgrounds, both in those games I just talked about, were really cool. You know, whether or not you like the extra action that took place within Erebor with the dragon, you have to admit seeing all those passages and mining carts and you know giant forms and braziers and stairways and hidden passages and throne rooms was you know, was exciting right it was being brought to life um you know what if like in that original game the hobbit we were or even in the movie we were given a bunch of deeds and quests to help bring the forges back to life kind of like we did in Hitbold as part of the dailies you know, instead of the three sets of eight quests that we get that just repeat content from the landscape already, what if um, you know it tied into the major storyline where uh, the dwarves were you know losing their craft skills, and you help them recreate that by bringing the the you know doing a bunch of deeds and quests around the Lonely Mountain and and bringing it back to life. So, in any event, um, another tip: if you have ex if you have experienced all the storylines for the various allegiance factions in Mordor, then uh, siding with the dwarves for other tunes is the way to go from a practical perspective. Because the elf and hobbit halls have no real-world egress, right? The, only the only the uh, horse ride that takes you to Magash 2 and Mordor. And even the one where you leave Minas Tirith to get to the upper level of Minas Tirith, most tunes at this point have multiple Minas Tirith ports already, right? You've got a Minas Tirith, you've got an after Minas Tirith port, um, you know, you've got a bunch of ports that are one away from Minas Tirith, you know, no big deal. Uh, whereas the dwarf port that you get, where you can leave in the northern strongholds, is handy to have when you're um, going through the quests for that area. So having another travel skill to Erebor is very handy when exploring the northern strongholds. It allows you to get the, the Dale port, which you get for rep um, when you finish off uh, rep for men in the area, and keep a milestone skill focused on Felagoth. So you have the three major locations covered when you are doing the dailies if you have the Allegiance Hall port to, um, to Erebor already. So that's my tip is to go ahead, go with the dwarves. They won't steer you wrong. Of course, they're awesome as per usual. 
my menstrual is now got four out of the five Mordor areas done with continued efforts, which I think is uh, 80 quests uh, done in each area for the you know the dailies that follow once you unlock them all, with only Talith Uri remaining. <clears throat> I'll have <coughs> maybe another eight quests in Talith Uri to complete, and then I'll be uh, done with continued efforts all across Mordor on my mini, and I'll have to decide at that point whether it's worth it to go back and find treasure caches and any missing pages uh, to be completionist about, you know, going for the horse or some of the other major Lotro points that are available in Mordor. Uh, but, you know, I've been doing the Mordor dailies with my mini just to generate additional black sturdy keys. It's bringing in ash, it's bringing in uh, occasional essence that's useful. Um, and uh, you know, most of the gear at this point is not as good. I keep handing it down to some of my lower tunes, seeing if it, you know, might improve them for when they first show up on the scene. Uh, but most of my tunes that have been through the area, you know, have at least level 330 gear, and you don't get better than that dropping from the loot boxes, in my experience. My Cappy is now moving his way through the Northern Stronghold's content, second tune to do so, and is just about finishing up the Felagoth quest lines. Uh, I think I left him in Karastilion, uh lastly. My Lore Master has been uh, finally finished all the rep uh, to become celebrated in Gorgoroth, which I think is worth like 60 Lotro points when achieved. I had him parked at the task board, uh, handing in rep and you done until he finished that final tier. Uh, aside from that, he's been doing a few Cordoseragost runs uh, to uh, still have a few legacy tiers. Got his uh, stuff almost maxed at this point. Still need a lot of crystals for him and for my next tune, the Berg. I did just buy a stack of, like uh, I think, like 30 of them from somebody that was selling in-game. Um, and uh, you know, I got a little bit of a deal on that. They were trying to sell them for like 50 gold apiece. And I bought the whole stack at a you know significantly reduced price because um, you know I just don't have time to run that Saracost that many times for that many alts. And uh, I did have the money after recently selling off most of my skill deed tombs as well as um, the one uh, blessing of the Valar uh, package that I had from uh, from my Mordor purchase, which was uh, which was able to be sold on the auction house. So let me see. Cappy's working his way. Almost done with Elgazel Armester. Berg. My Berg has now completed uh, Agranath and has completed, got his class trade point for finishing off the final instance in Mordor. And actually, I got uh, one better. I went through the prereq quests for the Northern Strongholds to get the class trade point uh, for completing that through basically showing up at Felgoth. And uh, so he's ready for Northern Strongholds content. I've been polishing his LI significantly. I think I most of his deeds and skills were at like uh, I think his legacy tiers for his primary DPS weapon were in the mid 40s, and uh, got a whole bunch of scrolls from empowerment and got them up to the 60s or near maxed or crystals. Basically, I improved his DPS by 30 about 35 percent through just uh, maximizing his LI. So I still got a little work to do on his LIs, but it's much more exciting when he backstamps someone right now. Big Spike, been doing a little bit of gambler line with him lately, just to refresh my knowledge on him, but otherwise running in red for the most part. Um, my Hunter is almost finished. I've been funneling rep item. For most of your FIs, you're still getting host of the West uh, crafting items. So I've been filtering them to... My hunter, he's almost finished with the last rep for the host of the West uh, preparations guy. I think I need the provisioner, and then I'll have all three, uh, and those are good, just easy free lotro points. So you're still getting those FI, you know, those host of the West uh, crafting items dropped from FI chest, so why not? And then I also upgraded him to some Mathem armor drops recently. Um, which are better than the four-piece set that she had previously from the Wastes. My Bjorning has been languishing. My champion, however, finished the Rift Skirm recently. And um, I found out a little too late. First of all, I figured I'd make it a little more challenging by putting the Rift Skirm on Tier 2 for the champ as he's working his way through. This is the first time he's run it, working his way through the Epic Quest line, trying to save Golodir. 
Oh, Golo dear, Golo dear, dear, you need help. Um, so big mistake I made is I didn't level my skirm soldier first, and I think he's way behind where he should be at level 71 at this point. And then uh, the first time I got out one of the lieutenants, it was an echo of death. And an echo of death, if you know what his uh, main primary skill is, is maybe the worst lieutenant you can get in a skirmish for a solo champion. And here's why. Um, each time you hit him, uh, it creates a chance to create a 100% incoming ranged melee damage buff for about 20 seconds. Uh, so for 20 seconds worth of time, you're doubling his DPS, and he is beating the crap out of you. And um, so the first couple times I you know, went in with all my food and buffs and everything I could manage that I found in my bags, all that in a bag of chips, and I wasn't even close. I got decimated by this thing, right? I just kept respawning, retrying. And finally I realized, okay, when this guy has his 20 seconds of 100% incoming ranged melee damage buff, I'm going to run. <laughs> and the problem is he has a range skill too. So <clears throat> I ran back to the front of the instance, which has a little stalactite sticking up out of it um, by where the monsters come out. And I was playing basically ring around the rosy around the giant stalactite. So whenever his damage buff came up, I would run to the other side of the stalactite. He'd try to follow me one side, I'd go the other way, this side would go the other way, and basically run him around in circles and try to avoid any of his attacks until the damage buff went away. In the meantime, my soldier, who is an archer, is at least getting a little bit of DPS on him from the side as I'm just kiting him, basically. And when the... the the damage buff would go away. Um, I'd hit him with more DPS skills until it came back. I'd get like two or three tags in, it would come back. I'd go back to kiting, ring around the rosy. Like, I had to do this like five, six times. And basically, I finally wore him down that way. Uh, it was still close. It was the only way I could get him killed, though. Um, so if you're a champ and you have an echo of death, look out for that buff that comes up that does the 100% incoming range melee damage buff. It's time to kite and uh, try to find some place to hide. So not good. And the problem was I got three echoes of death <laughs> during the course of the skirmish. Um, so I had to do that strategy multiple times. But eventually I did get through the skirmish of tier two. I finished it. And uh, he is moving on with the In Your Absence quest line, uh, rounding up rangers and probably heading down soon to uh, Enid Wythe. <clears throat> which he will be, of course, overleveled for. So he won't be long for that content. I'll have to see how much I want to skip and how much of the epic I'd like to do. That's the problem when you level with the epic nowadays. It's too fast, and you outlevel the content without doing any side quests, unfortunately. My RK57 has just been hobby-horsing around. My Warden has been lying fallow at level 41. My Half Warden is just getting high at level 17. And I have no other Tolkien news. So, let's move on backwards to the second beacon of Ilanach. Okay, as usual in this episode, we got to deal with a lot of PARC, pusillanimous apologies, retractions, and corrections from last week. <clears throat> so, last time out, we offended the humble uh, barrel riders and uh, dwarven crossdressers. And to everyone else that was offended, we offer a solemn and very heartfelt sorry. Uh, viewer comments agree to disagree, or uh, disagree that we agree, since we're going backwards. We have, let's check the leaderboard, a new high score. The last review of this podcast was left by Gladwin on April 19th of 2018, and he is at the top of our leaderboard. As always, if you want to join this illustrious cadre of reviewers, then I might ask, what is stopping you? I will uh, highlight Gladwin's comments on iTunes. Creative and informative. Very impressive episode for the April Fool's Day. I like all your songs. Keep up the good work. And the most exciting part for me, especially in a backwards episode where everything's the opposite, this iTunes review is my first ever from China, apparently. Um, so just humbling to think that somebody might be listening from China and enjoying whatever little prattle I have, even if it's backwards. Uh, so thanks, Gladwin. Really appreciate it. Glad to hear from you. And uh, I will try to keep up the good work, although my lovely singing voice is currently hindered by a cold. Me, 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 me. 
Viewer feedback, we have none. From Retweet, meh. Community Spotlight. Uh, the last seclusion of Light the Beacons in the, Lotro, in the Lotro Beacon by Cordovan was back, in, as far as I can tell, in November of 2017 in issue number 37, which was over six months ago. Whatever I did I do to get banned from the Lotro Beacons? How can the Beacons be banned from the Beacon? Uh, Grima, did you put another tuna fish sandwich in Cordovan's disk drive for me? Thanks, I really appreciate that. Uh, forum insiders, not much going on apart from the, uh, you know, the calculated and meticulous, uh, you know, uh, disassembly of um, the infrastructure from the class uh, feed class trait uh, revamps and feedback. Um, although I will say the other thing that I've noticed is uh, is it me uh, or is the call for PvP been ratcheting up in the game of late? At least on Landerval. Seems like many are done with the Northern Strongholds content and are looking for more than dailies to keep them busy, which is historically when PvP has thrived. Um, you know, of course, in the next update, it's largely class updates and polish without a little lot of new content necessarily, so that, that potentially could continue. I did uh, read recently that uh, Landerville has PvP nights on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I don't. I, it's been a long time since I've partaken, but... I have to admit, it's been so long that I am kind of intrigued to go back out and see what things are like uh, lately. So, who knows? Maybe I'll get a PvP session coming up at some time in the near future. That would be kind of exciting. So, in this week's action-packed or packed action episode, we talked a little bit about what we've been doing in game these past few weeks. And if we wanted to have time for that, we better not go backwards again. Uh, we were determined to end the podcast prematurely. That didn't happen either. We discussed impressions around Erebor. We pointlessly talked about backwards names in Lotro. We reviewed the Bolroar initial release notes for class changes. And, of course, we talked a little bit about what we've been doing in-game these past few weeks. Did I say that already? This backwards stuff is really confusing. Let's move on to our first beacon. Vavoom! This is Bragg, the son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons. A Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle Earth. Beacons of Minas Tirith! The beacons are lit! Lotro calls for aid! And Brog shall answer. Yes, it's Amandine. Here in the foothills of the White Mountains of Ered Nimres, our torchlit journey has come to an end. Goodbye from Beacon the Lights, the only Lotro podcast that dares to say, My goodness, that is some intriguing filth. This was episode number 82. How about you? And I was your host, Brag of the Lonely Mountain. The Shield Swipe of Sultan, the Aggro of Earl, Elevensies, and Dwarf of Ill Repute. I was broadcasting live from temporary Light the Beacons Middle Earth Wide Headquarters, Fah from Ferrothelion, coming to you live from our chat, because that's where we start when we are widow manning hobbitches. I hope this podcast shook things up and was sufficiently confusing for all of you. I know they have very little idea of what was going on at this point, uh, to be frank with you. So we better move on to a new beginning. Uh, so long, folks. <laughs>